Mark's gospel, the gospel of Mark chapter 12. Praise you, Jesus. You make all things new. Mark's gospel chapter 12. It will be on the screen. Verse 41. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Surely I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given into the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance. But she out of her poverty put in all that she had. A whole livelihood. I would like to use for a title today, When Giving Less is giving more. And I would ask that you pray that the Holy Spirit make us one in His Word. Would, would you, I'm always encouraged if you pray for me. Would you point your hands this way? I don't only I'm encouraged, I feel the results of your prayers. Also, Holy Spirit, oh, hallelujah. Would you make all things new today? Would you give me, give me, oh God, upon the request of those who are praying with me and for me today, impartation and revelation from the Holy Ghost? Oh God, I, I, I want to be a vessel of honor. And so I pray for fresh revelation and anointing for this service. This service. I pray for fresh revelation and anointing for this service for everybody here. I, I do not intend to be an entertainer, but I know there are things that could distract us. And I, I speak against distraction from your word. And I speak power into our lives by the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. As you're seated, you may be seated. One of the opportunities of ministry is that of invitations extended to me upon the passing of a loved one by their family members to do their service of memorial, funeral, and burial. And on occasions, out of curiosity, I have, after the burial of a family member in the service, I have sometimes elected to walk through the cemetery, the memorial gardens, and just read dates and names and tombstones and epitaphs. Of course, not to speak... Like I know something you don't, but we all know that epitaphs are those words inscribed either on marble or bronze or however families elect. That are words that to some degree indicate the life of the person who's buried. And I have, I don't collect epitaphs. I know one preacher who does, and that's not necessarily to be morbid, but... Uh, I have written down one or two because I wanted to remember. I even took a picture of one. didn't want to forget it. It's amazing what people have written on their tombstones. 
and sometimes with their permission prior to their passing. It's amazing how brutally frank and honest the messages are on these uh, chisel stones. And some are, some are lighthearted, but they are there for posterity. Uh, on the more lighthearted side, this is one in a cemetery in a place called Lee, Massachusetts. It says this. In memory of Mrs. Alpha White, who weighed 309 pounds. Yeah, it's, it's on the stone forever. And this is the epitaph. Open wide, you heavenly gates that lead to the heavenly shore. Our father suffered in passing through, and mother weighed much more. <laughs> Brave family in it. Here's one something like it. It goes, here lies the body of Mary Ann Brown. At debt, she weighed 400 pounds. But now in peace and joy she rests in sweet repose on Abraham's breast. The little boy came along and saw that and he added to it. It may be sweet for Mary Ann, but it's awfully tough for Abraham. <laughs> it's on the stone. Thomas Mulvaney in Midfield, Massachusetts was buried under this stone which reads... Old Thomas Mulvaney lies here. His mouth ran from ear to ear. Reader, thread lightly on this wonder. For if he yawns, you're gone to thunder. It's on the stone. But this one I like best. This epitaph. It says, Here lies the body of old man Pease, buried beneath the flowers and trees. But Pease ain't here, just the pod. He shelled out and went to God. Uh, uh, yeah. I like that. That's good theology in it. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. I offer this introduction because it has to do with our lesson today, I think. Epitaphs often are a suggestion of what our life was really like. Some of you have read of Alfred Nobel. Alfred Nobel was a Swedish chemist who invented dynamite and other powerful explosives. Mr. Nobel accumulated a fortune selling explosives to governments around the world for use in military application, ultimately intended for the destruction of life and property. When his brother died, when Alfred's brother died, a newspaper obituary mistakenly described Alfred's life instead of his brother's life, detailing how he became wealthy by enabling people to kill each other in unprecedented numbers. When someone sent a copy of the obituary to Alfred Nobel, he was so shocked when he read the summary of his life's work that he vowed to use his fortune to reward accomplishments which benefit humanity instead of destroying it. From that decision came what we now know today as the Nobel Prizes. The Nobel Prizes recognizes achievements in six fields, and especially we've all heard perhaps of the Nobel Peace Prize. That's where the origin came from, a man who had the opportunity to read his obituary prior to his death and was transformed by it. Most of us will not have the opportunity to read our obituary before it's published and we won't have enough time to change our lives in such a way as to alter the way that we remembered. 
We don't get the chance to see how people evaluate us before it's too late for us to do anything about it, do we? But here in Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 41 and following, there's a story of a woman who received a judgment on her life. Not only did she receive a judgment, but others that day received a judgment. And they all did before the end of their life. Fortunately for this woman we read about, the estimation of her life was very positive, And this estimation serves as an example for all of us who read the story today that we might not only read her story, but model her actions. So out of this but few verses of Scripture, I want to I bring to you what the Lord would have us to learn from this story, otherwise known as the widow's offering. Jesus watched the giving at the treasury. With an emphasis on watched. We already know that the Lord Jesus sees everything and everybody all the time. Did I get a witness? God sees everything, not just the offering at the treasury. The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord go to and fro the whole earth, especially looking for those who are obedient so He might bless them. And so since God sees everything... Whether that is a comfort or a threat to us depends on what we are doing at the time He is looking. It's quiet, but I will move on. In regards to this woman that Jesus watched this day at the temple, His observation became a compliment. For others, however, His gaze did not yield words of compliments. I believe that Jesus' decision to watch the treasury that day had more to do than just a straying gaze of his eyes. He did not just stray in her direction. He deliberately pulled himself aside from the place of the treasury, stood with his disciples, and deliberately watched that day. But what did he watch? Jesus was interested in who was giving. Here at the temple treasury, those who came to worship deposited contributions for the ministry of the temple as God had instructed them to do. When you come to worship, bring an offering. The Lord was sitting watching people as they brought their gifts of money to the treasury. Now, this particular event took place on the Tuesday of the week of Passion prior to the Friday of what we celebrate as the Friday of His arrest and crucifixion. There were 13 funnel-shaped cones in which people deposited their coins, their offerings. I don't know if you remember the old RCA logo, which used to be an old-fashioned record player with a needle on it and a big old horn, like the horn of a, like an instrument, like a tuba or a large instrument of metal. Well, the Bible says at the temple treasury was the place where there were 13 of these different receptacles. Nine were to bring offerings and the other were to bring uh, 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 maybe some taxes or other things that were due. These receptacles shaped like a large horn. They were made of metal. And they, when the people tossed their money in it, it all deposited into a, a large square container made of metal also. And Jesus elected to stand out there and watch who was giving. Not only did he watch who was giving, the Bible says Jesus was interested in what they were giving. History informs us that some of the Pharisees, you know, some of the Pharisees were rather religious and pious. 
and wanted folks to know that they were very religious, some. So history tells us some of the Pharisees would take whatever monies they were going to contribute at the temple that day, they would have them changed into the most number of coins possible, like we would take a quarter and have it changed into 25 pennies. Then they would come to the treasury, some of these Pharisees, and they would stand back and toss their large number of coins into the metal funnels. Of course, when they stand back and they had so many coins and tossed them into the metal funnels, it would make a large racket and everybody standing around would see and hear their contribution. I don't make this up. History tells us these people back then were called zingers. Zingers. They would have the larger bags and the heavier bags and make the loudest racket in giving. And all around the folks could say, here comes the zingers. Isn't it interesting, church, that the last public recorded act of Jesus prior to his crucifixion had to do with finances? And I I, I realize in in speaking again the third Sunday in finances because this is the month of stewardship. That there may be those visiting with us for the first time. And I realize I run the risk of you thinking, here we go. I come to another church. I come the first time and they want more money. And I also realize that there may be those who have been here for the last two Sundays and this being the third who think, is that all he knows is money? I invite those of you that... that, 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 uh, that are with us for the first time and, and you hear about money, do come back again. That's not all we preach. We preach at 52 Sundays in the year and we preach at 51. And I'm only teasing. You know why money is important? Because God made it important. We make it important. Jesus, we have 36 recorded parables of Jesus in the New Testament and one half of them was about money. There are over 500 scripture verses in the Bible on the subject of prayer and, and there are less than 500 verses in the Bible on the subject of faith, but there are over 2,000 verses in the Bible on the subject of money. And I, and I say to you that I have come to understand that there's a reason why there's so much emphasis in Scripture about money. And, I, and while there are more than one conclusion to why it's there, I, I have come to also learn that money is life compressed. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean money represents the fruit of who we are and what we do. I'll go further to explain. We spend a lot of time in this life making money, spending money, investing money, saving money. And for some people, they spend a lot of time in their life wasting money. But I must tell you that first we earn money. Now, what does it mean by earning money? Earning money is a statement of who we are. And not only do we earn money, but of course, obviously, we spend money, which is a statement of what we believe is important. I've heard other preachers say it, and I think it's true, so I will repeat it. And I think the same is true for me. We could do it vice versa. I could take your checkbook if you let me and look over your register. You could take my checkbook if I let you and look over my register. And both of us will discover just how important money is to us. Or we will discover not only that, what is important to us by how we spend our money. God's money. And it was, it was important to God. And so Jesus was not only interested in who was giving, but what they were giving. I, I might go on to say that Jesus 
took time to watch how people handle money in his day. And I think it's safe to assume that he still watches today. The text implies that Jesus was looking close enough at the giving that day until he could see two tiny copper coins come out of the hand of an old woman who approached the treasury. Poor widow. He was interested in who was giving and what they were giving. And I'm just going to teach here because that's what the Lord would have me do. We are prone to think that what we do with our money is our business alone. But I've lived long enough to know that obviously it's God's business as well. Jesus didn't make any apology for watching the people and drawing comparisons based on what he saw. And based on what he saw by who was giving and what was being gave, he elected to teach an object lesson to his disciples that he knew would come down to today to us. Jesus watched the circumstances from which people gave. The fact that the woman Jesus took notice of is described as poor, is important to our Lord's lesson. The Scripture uses the word poor to indicate that she was essentially a, a woman of limited means, maybe even a beggar, someone who had nothing. And God took note of that. Jesus did. I, I want to say, even though that's 20, 100 years ago, 2000, that Jesus today on March 18, 2012, in this service, is watching us. And He knows our life circumstances just like He knew that widow that day. Did you hear me? Oftentimes as a pastor, I'm approached by people who may be single parents, college students, Limited income, who are going through trying circumstances, and they say something like this to the pastor. Is this teaching on giving really for me? I mean, my situation is so limited right now that I don't know that I can do what you're suggesting. Is it really for me? And ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, the truth of the matter is that God knows each of our situations. And I'm going further to tell you that God would not ask us to do anything that we could not do, even with Him knowing our situation. There are two ways that people hide when it comes to money. Some people hide behind having many resources. And some people hide behind having few resources. I don't have enough. And there are many well-meaning Christians who will say to people who have limited resources, like perhaps this poor widow, God doesn't expect you to give anything because after all, you have so little or none. And that's not biblical. Because Jesus stood by that day and watched a poor widow woman give her last two mites and he did nothing to stop her from giving it. He knows our circumstances. But it's a reason why He calls us to obedience. I, I tell you, this wasn't the first poor widow who was asked to give. 
The Holy Spirit took me to 1 Kings chapter 17 in preparation for this lesson. And he pointed me again to a familiar story, but fits right here. And he talks about a place, 1 Kings 17, about Elijah in the Old Testament, who ministered in Israel during a time of famine. There would be no rain on the region of where Elijah ministered for three years. Famine. No rain meant no vegetation, and no vegetation meant limited food, and no vegetation meant the animals, the grazing opportunities for the animals were rather sparse. No rain meant the rivers would eventually dry up, and the streams would dry up, and things would be rather limited, so everybody had to forge for whatever they could survive on, including this widow that God sent Elijah to in a place called Zarephath. God said to Elijah, I want you to go to Zarephath. I've commanded a widow woman to sustain you there. So the Bible says he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I might drink. And, and she, she was going to get Elijah some water, and he said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she turned around and said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare for myself and my son, and we may eat it and die. You ever heard of the Last Supper? Yeah, it's in the Old Testament too. Elijah said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You go and do what you said you're going to do. But bring me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. And if you stop reading it, you think just like every preacher. He wants the best first. He wants the woman to cook for him first and let she and her son have the leftover. But that ain't the end of the story. The Bible says, for the Lord God says, the God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. Listen to this. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he, meaning the man of God, and her household ate for many days. Everybody say, many days. Listen to this. And the bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Elijah. I'm telling you that even though God through Elijah, and Elijah through God, I should say, knew that this was a woman about to have a last meal, he knew her circumstances, but he said, give to God first, and her oil never run dry, and her meal barrel never got empty. And I'm telling you that if God took care of the widow in the Old Testament, and the widow in the New Testament, he knows where you live, he knows your circumstances, and if he asks you to obey him, he will give you what it takes to make it happen. Somebody help me praise the Lord. Yeah. And so not only that, but, but Jesus watched the content of the gifts of those giving that day. Verse 30, 42 of our text in Mark 12 says that the widow put in two mites into the treasury. You need to understand this about a mite. M-I-T-E. A mite was the smallest denomination of coin that was printed in the Greek world. A mite known as a Greek lepton, L-E-P-T-O-N, was worth one, 128th of a day's pay. Can you imagine that? 
a mite. One 128 of a day's pay. It was hardly enough a mite to buy a scrap of bread. This widow had two mites. She could have kept one for herself, and she could have given one to the treasury. But she gave them both. She gave them both to God. Everything. Now, now let me say this to you. When we examine our finances over our lifetime, it gives us insight into the question of whether we have anything to give to God or not. Walk it through with me, okay? Let, let's just say you started at age 25 and you, you made $15,000 a year and you made the same amount of money, 15000 a year, from age 25 to age 65. That would be 40 years. The accumulation of which after 40 years would be $600,000. Let's say you double that. Let's say you started at age 25 making $30,000 a year. And for age 25 to age 65, 40 years, that would be $1.2 million. Wouldn't you say that's a considerable amount of money that passes through our hands? Can I get an amen here? And what the Lord is teaching us from this experience of this woman and from His Word to us, is does the amount we bring to God, our tithes and offerings, does the amount we give represent us? And I would say to you that this woman not only represented herself, she didn't give her leftovers, she gave her best. Okay, it's quiet, so let me see if I can illustrate The story is told, it is a true story. I heard it from Dr. David Jeremiah, who himself witnessed it when he was a student at the seminary in Dallas, Texas. While he was a student at the seminary, the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Dallas was Pastor Criswell. Very prolific man of God during his time. He's gone on to be with the Lord. He pastored First Baptist for a lot of years, a profound and wonderful anointed man of God. And once a year, they would have what's called Stewardship Month. And that's, that's the emphasis of, of understanding what the Bible says about stewardship as I'm doing this month here at our church. And Dr. Criswell tells this story, and, and, and Dr. David Jeremiah was in the service that day, and he heard it, and he hasn't forgotten it. He conveys it like this. A certain gentleman of a, a rather large means and wealth came to see him one day and said, You know what? God's not moving in my life and flowing in my life and, and responding to me like he used to in, in the earlier days of my life when I started out. Dr. Criswell said, Well, come on and sit in for a little bit. Let's examine what's going on. Tell me what you were doing during the time and the place and the situations when God blessed your life earlier. And let's find out what it took then. Let's find out what, what's happening now. What about your giving? Are you giving to the Lord now? In proportion of his blessings to you and what comes through your hands? As you were giving to him when you first started out in proportion? Well, he says, well, well Pastor, I've got to be honest, I'm not. He said, when I started my first job, I made $50 a week and so I could give God $5. And I did that and did it gladly, 10%. He said, I kept giving and God increased over time. He increased my salary to $500 a week. And, and I, I, could write down, I could write down $50 as an offering to the Lord. He said, Pastor, I kept giving. Years went by. God blessed my business. I started making $5,000 a week. And, and you know what? I, 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 I wrote the check, $500. And over the years, over the time, God's blessed me. And I, I started making $50,000 a week. And, and, and you know, my business has spread. I'm in this. And things have taken place. I'm making 
And said, Pastor, I just, I just cannot, wow, I just cannot bring myself to writing a check of the same proportion and like I did in the earlier days of 10% uh, of $50,000. And he said, well, you know, for you to get God's blessing in your life, let, let's have a prayer. Pastor. Pastor Criswell says, okay, uh, let's kneel down and pray. He put his hand on the, on the rich man's shoulder and he began to pray to God. said, God, would you reduce this man's income back to the level where he's comfortable with writing the check every week? The man interrupted the pastor said, I know the story. I got it. It's done. <laughs> Go ahead and give the Lord some praise. Yeah. I've watched it. I've seen it as a pastor. I've seen people come into blessing and favor with God. People who used to give their 10%, who used to be glad to do it. And God blessed them, increased their salary, gave them a house, gave them a car, gave them a boat, might have given them a lake house, blessed their business. They got branches all over. And, and I've watched the same people, same people reduce. They hide behind having so much when it all belongs to God. And then a lot of people hide behind having little. You know, okay. Thank you. To tomorrow night, tomorrow night at the end of the women's Bible study, as they do at the end of every series of women's Bible study, they're going to have a sort of a celebratory refreshments and food. Yes, they will. Yes, they will. And Brother Sammy will not be there tomorrow night because he's not been in our prayer group for the last few weeks. So he won't, I'll tell you where this is going. He's been upstairs with the other ministry. But they, the ladies let the men. They have sweet and they have salties. What they bring in, they bring in desserts and they come in and at the end of the... They'll, they'll, they'll have had eight weeks of fellowship, studying the word, praying, weeping together, laughing together. But on the last night, they put a big spread out there and they celebrate sweet and salty. They bring the desserts, man. They bake them, they buy them, they cook them, they spread them, they put them out, they put the plates. And they have a good time. And without fail, while they're doing that, we are in our prayer room at the man on the A103 praying, Oh, God, will we get a break this time? <laughs> will the Holy Ghost move on the women so that they might invite us for some sweet and some salty? And every time God has answered my prayer without fail. <laughs> but where are you going with this? Here's where I'm going. I don't bring any dessert. I don't buy any dessert. I don't even bring paper plates and paper cups and nothing. And here I am coming wanting something. You know? The first thing the women will do, Sister Teresa, and you make sure this happens tomorrow night, is they will serve themselves first. And they ought to, bless God. They paid for it, baked it, brought it, and put it on the table. And the guys get the leftovers. Yes. You ever ask God to multiply loaves and fishes? That's one of those times. Now, I'm saying to you, they deserve to get first bids. If you invite family, people to your house this week, you want to know them better, have them come to your house on Friday night and serve them a meal, would you go into your fridge on Friday night and pull out the leftovers on Thursday night to serve your guests? If that's what you do, don't invite me. I want real. <laughs> I'm trying to tell you, if we think we deserve the best, because we work in slave and, and all this kind of stuff, I want to tell you, God deserves the best. That's how we got in the first place. God's not interested in after I have paid all my bills and give to everybody else and spent my money on my boat and my car and my toys and my hobbies and the finest restaurant. If I have some left over, then I'll give it to you. That's not how God blessed us in the first place. So, so I'm saying to you that, oh, help us, Jesus. 
Let me give you. Jesus makes this calculation concerning the gift. His math is different from ours. He sees two little mites in a widow's hand tossed into the offering that can't even buy a scrap of bread. It's one 128th of a day's wages. And he says, this woman has given more than anybody else. How does his math work? His math works like this. It's, a, it's called the open hands. Because God evaluates our giving not so much on what we give as by what we have available to give. Did I get an amen or some kind of oh me or help us, Jesus? Yeah. You see, the open hand approach is people with an open hand are those who allow God to put money in their hand and allow it to leave their hand to meet the needs of others. Oh, yeah, that's good preaching, even if I have to commend myself. I'm learning from this. The Holy Spirit convicts me. Okay? So, so listen to me, and I want you to understand. I want you to understand I'm not about to take up another offering. I'm not about to beg anybody for anything. Okay? I want you to understand that, that this church, God takes care of His church. Okay? And come next Sunday, I will have been the pastor of this church alongside my wife for 27 years. Okay? And I'm telling you this. When I was praying in the altar this week with my little journal, I was thanking God that in 27 years, we have paid every bill that has come due this church. No staff member has missed a salary at any time. Nobody has come to turn off our power or our water or come and claim something back from us because we didn't pay our bills. If I can't prove God in 27 years to give us seven dollars and to give us five million dollars if i can't prove that god will take care of me as a pastor and his church in 27 years i can't prove it at all god is faithful god is faithful and i'm trying to get you in the blessed zone and i hope you don't do what some folks do just get mad and go someplace else because wherever you go that's where you are Man, somebody need to touch me. There's something going on. Yeah. Ah, people, people have they've left churches because they're mad at the preacher. But wherever you go, if you heard it, you're still responsible. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to take him an offering right now. The lady wrote, the lady wrote this praise report here. I'm trying to hurry. The lady says this. In testifying to the Lord on our praise report, she says, I came to church on a particular Sunday. You were preaching on this topic. And I came with fumes, fumes for gasoline and $4. I put the $4 in the offering and believed God for the impossible. Because that Sunday I was preaching on impossible odds. The sister says, the following day, Monday, I receive a check in the mail for $480. Maybe I should take up an offering. Listen to this. Praise God for you, Pastor Allen, and the anointed word of God. By the way, Pastor, the gas needle stayed the same when I got home as when I left home. This is just one of the many testimonies. Praise God. Listen to me. If God can trust to put it in your hand, and you'll open your hands, instead of clamming it. See, sometimes... We get in that protective kind of, okay, God. <laughs> and when we, we wrap our gnarly fingers around, God will take care of you. you know, but if you're willing to open that hand, because open hands, people learn how to trust God. Huh? Play some open hand music, brother. 
How many have heard of the Purpose Driven Life book? Lift your hands. Put it down. How many read the book? Raise your hand. Yeah, I've read it twice. Put it down. It was written by uh, Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback Community Church, California. It was one of my special privileges, December of 2005. My wife had a seminar to attend on our Ph.D. program. And Jennifer and I went to church on New Year's Day. Well, that Sunday of New Year's weekend, heard Rick Warren preach. This book, The Purpose Driven Life, has sold over 100 million copies around the world. 40 million in America and 60 million around the world, hardback. What was so prolific about that, Pastor? I'll tell you. No other book in the Bible has sold more copies other than the Bible than The Purpose Driven Life. Did you hear me? No other book. God took a pastor out of California who wanted to write on discipleship, who wanted to write to Christians who needed to know what's the purpose, what's my purpose in this world, unbelievers, what's my purpose in this world, and to write a book on discipleship. And sold a hundred million copies. One of Pastor Rick Warren's friends, who now pastors in New York City, his name is Nelson Searchy. I read his book recently called The Generosity Ladder. Nelson Searchy said to Rick Warren, uh, What are you going to do with all the royalties, all the multiple funds, which will be millions of dollars, that you're getting from this book? And Rick Warren says to him, You know what? I do not know. I didn't start out with this kind of knowledge that this book would generate even this much interest, especially this much blessing. So he said, I'm going to search the Bible and I'm going to read and find out what God will have me do with this blessings of all these royalties, which of course will be multiple millions. And about four weeks later, he was speaking to Nelson Searchy and, and, and Nelson said, did you decide what to do? And, and, and Rick Warren said, I got four things the Lord told me to do with the money and the royalties I have. Number one, I'm not going to change my lifestyle. With all this money God has given me, I, I am going to keep the same house I lived in for 20 years. I'm going to drive the same Ford vehicle I had for 10 years. I'm not going to buy a place at Malibu and move there. I'm just going to keep my lifestyle. Secondly, he said, of the four things God told me to do is I am going to start a foundation. And I'm going to start a foundation for two purposes. I'm going to put money in this foundation to help children who are, who are victims of AIDS, HIV, and, and they're suffering. And I'm also part of that fund. We'll also go to hurting pastors around the world who are trying to do the work of God. They're bivocational. They have no income at all. I'm going to try to help hurting pastors. That's the second of the four things I'm going to do. The third thing I'm going to do with the money God has given me, he says, unexpected like this, is I'm going to give back my church all the salary they gave me for the last 20 years, and I'm going to pass to them for free the rest of the time. Oh, excuse me. I didn't say that. He did. Just telling his story. And then the fourth thing, the fourth thing he said I'm going to do is I'm going to become a reverse tither. What's a reverse tither? A regular tither takes the first 10%, give it to God, keep the 90%, and God makes it go beyond 100%. But a reverse tither, which is rare, and God didn't call you to do that, but if you're blessed enough, a reverse tither says I'm going to take 10%, I'm going to live on that 10%, give God the other 90 That has to do with everything about does our gift represent who we are. I don't know if I told this in this service, but if I told it, laugh. 
Uh, the, the lady, have I told you in the service, was wealthy who came to the pastor to give her gift for the building fund? Okay, have I told that lady about the lady who came to the service? Okay. I won't tell anyhow. Uh, they were having a special campaign like we do for our building and then for Easter Sunday. And so she was a person of means. And she said, Pastor, here, I want you to see my check. And I want you to tell me if you think it's sufficient. 50 bucks. 50 bucks. He says, she says, is it sufficient? He said, well, ma'am, I just got to ask you this. Does it represent you? And all that God's blessed you with. She grabbed up the check, crumbled it up, walked out in a huff and went out. Next week, she brought another check. Brought to the pastor for $5,000. Pastor, I want you to look at this. Is it sufficient? He says, ma'am, I'm going to do the same thing I did with you last time. And I'm going to say to you, it is sufficient if it represents you. Your blessings. She got a huff, picked up the check, crumbling, walked out angry. A few days later, she came back to the church, brought the pastor a check, $50,000. She handed the check. She said, here. And yes, it does represent me. And no, I will not be taking it back. And quit asking me that question. Bow, please. Bow with me. I want to pray over open hands and open hearts today. So your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. Open hands and open hearts. Oh God, you didn't assign me to be a money watcher. Jesus watched. I don't dare suggest to these people that I'm interested in watching what they give. I don't watch because I'm human and I could be tainted by watching the givers and the amount when necessary to check the records for those in leadership and potential leadership then I can do so but Lord because I'm human and all of us are human we might measure somebody's value based on what we see and not really their heart but I ask you today to heal our hearts heads bowed and eyes closed I ask you to heal our hearts my father I would pray even now that you do what I cannot do for myself or for the others. Head bows and eyes closed. Pastor, I need the Lord to work on my heart, not just in the area of finances. I need for Him to work on my heart in a lot of other areas, including finances. I need for Him to work on my hands so that I don't clutch and cling to and hold on to possessions and make them my trust. But I would rather make God my trust. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to come to the altar. This is a personal, private kind of commitment. Beginning today, Pastor, I'm not looking back. I'm moving ahead. I'm not going to base the theology on my giving based on my insecurities or somebody else's lack of biblical knowledge. I'm going to base it on God's Word. I need healing for my heart and my hands. If that would be you, raise your hands in Jesus' name. I don't just talk about money. I'm talking about hearts. Just me and you, okay? Put them down. There are so many. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Heavenly Father, as I pray right now, I pray for the release of transparency and honesty. Soul searching. This kind of message will take a little bit more to digest, but it will be as good for our soul as any of your word is. So I pray for the release of the anointing 
trust you in spite of our circumstances. Now, would you stand, please? Would you stand? And after you've stood, I'm going to do what the Spirit led me in the first service to do because He hasn't led me otherwise. The Bible says in many contexts, including marriage, two is better than one. In building the church, two is better than one. In winning the lost, two is better than one. In carrying the burdens of life and the cares of life, two is better than one. I'm going to invite you across the aisles and all over the church. Take somebody by the hand gently as a symbol of unity. Take them by the hand. Across the aisles if you can and if you're able to. I want to ask you to do that said thing, that very thing for the glory of God. Now as you grasp that hand, bow your head for a moment. I'm going to prepare you. Whatever you want prayed into your life about finances, about giving, about marriage, about miracles, whatever you want prayed into your life, about your heart, your life, your children, pray it into somebody's. I want you to be an open hand of prayer, releasing prayers that you'd, you'd rather hold for yourself. Open your, open your lips, part your lips now and begin to pray for each other. Come on. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I love you, Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, I open my hands by joining my hands to connect with people on either side of me. Oh God, I pray that you would, uh, you would cause your covering to abide over us. Forgive us, oh God, for being owners when we're just managers. Forgive us for clinging to things that you meant for, to be dispersed abroad. Forgive us for attitudes, emotions, feelings, judgmental spirit, criticism, fault-finding, hard heart. Forgive us, oh God, for letting the Word just get by us when it should get in us. Come on, pray for each other. I pray the Word will not fall on stony ground. I pray the Word will not fall on a stony heart. I pray it will not fall on ground where the birds of the air, meaning the Satan and his imps, will come and devour the Word. Come on, come on, pray. God, I don't want to just leave here like I came, and I don't want to say it's good for somebody else when you've given it to me, God. I, I need this Word as the preacher, as the teacher. I need the Word. God, everything we have is yours. We're just stewards. We're only in this flesh and this body for a season. We will live eternity and we'll answer to you, God. So I pray we'd have open hearts and open hands. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now lift up your hands and give Him praise. And might you go ahead and sing, my brother, as they do. Come on, first come and then praise Him.